Good morning. Hey. That was unexpected. Um, welcome to Grace City. My name is Jade, whoever said that. Um, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, for our members and our regular attenders, just a quick reminder that pledging for next year, um, we've, we have it still open for another week. So we'd love for you to partner with us and to join us by submitting your pledge. Uh, you can do that by clicking on the pledge link on the website. Um, but for now, as uh, Jason alluded to, we're jumping into a new three-week series called Image of the Invisible. Um, uh, the aim of this short series is to prepare our hearts for Christmas and to remind us that we're not just celebrating an itty-bitty baby Jesus, um, but instead on Christmas, we celebrate God becoming man, the invisible becoming visible. So that's the main theme of our series, and that's actually the main theme of our passage today. In our passage, John writes this beautiful prose looking back at creation and drawing a straight line from the Garden of Eden to the manger in Bethlehem to the streets of Palestine. Um, John writes to help us recognize and receive Jesus as the light of all mankind and the eternal Son of God. And he says that if we do that, we will live in line with who we are originally created to be, um, we would understand where our worth and where our identity comes from. This language is so prominent in our culture, worth, identity, um, living out your true self, being authentic, being true to who you are. It feels like the whole world is searching. They're trying to find the secret source to life, the secret manual um, that will tell you what to do and how to do it that will allow you to discover your true purpose, the true reason why you exist. You know, uh, this week uh, I, I was introduced to a new word. Um, I hadn't heard of it before. Uh, it's ikigai. So ikigai is a Japanese word that claims to hold the manual, the secret source to life. Um, so why are we here? According to ikigai, there are four things that you need to balance. You need to find something that you're good at, your passion, sorry, find something that you love, your passion, um, find something that the world needs, your mission, find what you're good at, your vocation, and find what you get paid for. Um, and if all of those things can kind of be in one place, then that is, you've, you're able to achieve this ikigai. Um, and it's only with all four ingredients that you can finally understand and be living out your purpose in the world. Ikigai is the ultimate reality that they claim if you align yourself to it, if you're able to get your life right with it, your life will be right and balanced and good. Now, this idea didn't only come up in Japanese culture. We actually see it across time and across cultures. Um, an early example of this search for meaning is in, is in ancient Greek philosophy, where instead of ikigai, they used a different word to kind of explain a very similar concept. And the word that they used was logos. So they would say that if you aligned yourself to the logos, to the ultimate true reality of the Logos, the true purpose of life, then you would live a good one. But much like Ikigai, there was no absolute unified idea of what that Logos was. It was all relative. Um, though they all agreed on the kind of general principle of the Logos, they couldn't agree on what it actually was. And more on that, both Ikigai and Logos, these ideas, they were just that. They're just ideas, they're concepts, they're impersonal, intangible thoughts of how we should be living life. 
And this is actually why the Bible, and especially the passage that we're looking at today, has been so influential in both ancient and modern thought about this. It proposed a very different kind of ikigai, a very different logos. John writes of a logos that is a being, a personal, relational being that intimately communicated and, commun and continues to communicate with us. Instead of an abstract concept, a secret source, a life manual, John writes that we're supposed to find our purpose in the Logos that is revealed in the Bible. We're going to work through this passage by firstly seeing how John reveals this Logos to us. Now, spoiler alert, um, John, uses the word, he, John actually uses the word Logos. Uh, if you heard when Jason was reading out the passage, he said uh, in the beginning was the word. So that the word is actually the word Logos. Um, and we're talking about Jesus. So I'll spoil that for you from now. Who would have thought a church, church talking about Jesus on a Sunday? Um, we'll then look at, um, so we'll, we'll look at that. John will reveal that to us. And then um, we'll see how Jesus was rejected. Um, and then we'll see finally what happens. What about if he was received? So Jesus revealed, rejected, and received. That's kind of where we're going. Um, so let's kick off with our first section. John starts off his gospel by introducing us to something or someone, I wonder who, um, that he refers to as the word, and he describes the word in three ways. So first, in the beginning was the word. First, he says this word has always existed. In the beginning was the word. This would have reminded John's readers and probably should remind us as well of Genesis 1. So look with me at Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then John 1 says, in the beginning was the word. I want to show you this account because in the beginning, in Genesis, God created. He did something. In John 1, we don't see that just yet. What we do see is the eternal existence of the word. It wasn't that the word was created in the beginning, which would have fit really well with, what, uh, with the start of Genesis. Like John could have written, in the beginning, God created the word. But that's not what he says. He says that the word had always existed and was there in the beginning. And in verse 3, he kind of continues this kind of pseudo um, creation account. He says, uh, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing, that was, nothing was made that has been made, and in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So through the word, all things were made, and without the word, nothing that has been made exists. So let's follow kind of that logic with two very simple diagrams. Now this diagram, I'll tell you now, is the wrong one. This is not true. Don't take a photo of it, because um, <laughs> you forget. You'll forget that this is the wrong one. Um, so this one says that God created the word and then through the word, he created all things. But that doesn't really make sense because there would be something that was created that wasn't created through the word, which would be the word himself. Um, so it can't be right because that would mean that there was something that was made being the word was made first and then through the word, everything else was made. But that's not what John's saying. John's saying something else. Um, and this second kind of description will help us understand. Um, John says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. So this is what the diagram should look like. You can take a picture of this one. <laughs> God through the word created all things. 
So somehow the word had always been with God in the beginning. And that's how everything was created through the word. Because in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the word was always there. So the third description that kind of fits all the puzzle together, um, not only was the word with God, but the word was God. That's not the verse. But the word was God. Um, This word that John begins referring to as he is God himself. So what is John talking about and why does he keep referring to this being as the word? Um, Two essential things to know. Remember I mentioned that the Greek word that is used here that we translate as the word is actually the word logos. So on one level, John is saying the logos The ultimate reality that we have all been searching for, the thing that we ought to align our lives um, to and find purpose in, it's not just some random logos. It's not some secret source to life. It's this logos. It's Jesus himself. He was there in the beginning. Through him, everything was created. He was with God and he was God. So that's kind of one layer that John's speaking about. On another level, um, John is also reminding all of his Jewish readers that he is talking about the word of God, the word of God that the people of God had heard and obeyed and disobeyed time and time again across the Old Testament. Um, In the Old Testament, God regularly acts by means of his word. Look at Psalm 33 with me. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. From God's word, life and healing and hope and judgment was spoken into reality. Um, Isaiah gives us a beautiful picture of this in Isaiah 55. Um, He kind of compares rain and snow to the word of God. He says, as the rain and snow come down from heaven, they don't go back up. They don't return to it without watering the earth. So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire, achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So while the Logos was prominent in ancient Greece and the word of God was prominent across the Old Testament, John fleshes out for us that the word is actually, the Logos is actually the eternal son, the creator who was with God and who was God. But if you really think about it, we're still left with a problem. Even if all of this is true, How do we communicate with the word? If the word is the one that we're supposed to be in line with, to orient our lives around in order to be living out our true purpose, our true ikigai, how do we reach up to the word? John says that we don't. He reached down to us. Look at verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The logos became flesh. The eternal word of God, the only one and only son, the creator of everything is revealed to us here as Jesus. Now we have two major witnesses that testify to this in our passage. First, we have the testimony of someone called John the Baptist. Uh, Not the same guy as John the writer. Um, John the Baptist was actually, even though he's, written in the New Testament, he was actually the last Old Testament prophet. And we read about this about him in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. So John was sent by God to testify about the word who is light. 
if you remember from verse 3. But who does John say this incarnate word is? A few verses down in verse 29, um, John and his disciples are kind of walking on the road or they're on the road and Jesus is walking past. And it says this, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John was saying that there was a man who was born after him that existed before him. It's like one of those puzzles um, where Dave was older than Mike, but Mike was younger than Jennifer, but Jennifer was older than Beatrice. Um, So how old was Paul? Um, (laughs) I'm not very good at those puzzles. Um, the last Old Testament prophet points us forward and shows us that the hope that every other prophet in history had spoken about was culminating in this man, in Jesus. So John the Baptist, so in John the Baptist, we have the whole of the Old Testament testifying about Jesus. But I said we had a second major witness and that was the apostles' testimony. Um, Look at verse 14 again. That's not 14. None of those are 14. Think with me about verse 14 again. Um, It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. So who does John the gospel writer mean by we? Now, it's possibly more than this, but it's not less than the apostles of uh, of the New Testament. So in our two Johns, in John the Baptist and in John the the Gospel writer, we have the Old and the New Testament revealing to us that the Word of God, the Logos, the only Son, is Jesus. Everything was created through Him. He became flesh and He dwelt among us. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas. Not just a cute baby, even though I'm pretty sure it's pretty cute. Our people are pretty cute. But you have to come back on Christmas Eve to hear more about that. Um, So John reveals to us that Jesus is this Logos. Um, But next we're going to go and see how the Logos, this, this amazing thing that we're talking about, we're so excited about, was actually rejected by the world and by his own. And we see it here in verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world made, was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I hope you can feel the tragedy in these words. I pick up my daughter from daycare on most days, and when I go through the doors of that daycare, she sees me, she drops everything, she shouts, Baba, and she runs to me, and as she's running, she's telling everyone that, her dad has came. Her Baba has arrived. Though the world was made through him, they didn't recognize him. They didn't receive him. Our creator walked through the doors and they and we didn't even give him a second look. Can you feel the tragedy of these words? Can you imagine if I walked through the daycare doors and Alice didn't react? Alice didn't want to come home with me again. Alice wanted to stay dirty, playing in the mud and eating stale cheese crackers. 
instead of coming home with me, showering, and having a Lebanese feast. <laughs> it's funny, but it's really sad. How humiliating. Let's pick up on a couple of things from these verses before we move on. The, word didn't, the world didn't recognize him, and his own did not receive him. <clears throat> so um, the word wasn't just an absent creator. He was involved in his creation, and he was the source of its life and light. And he came into the world, but the world didn't receive, recognize their creator. John says a, a similar thing a little earlier, though the phrasing is a little bit tricky. Um, the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, Jason actually read out a translation and the darkness has not understood it. So the world who live in darkness could not understand the light. And when the light came into the world, they just, they didn't recognize him. But that's the world, right? That's the, that's the, the pagan world. They don't want to recognize him anyway. But what about God's people? The people that had been preparing for the coming of the Messiah, hearing the prophets talk about it for centuries, verse 11 tells us that his own did not receive him. We actually see this throughout the Gospels. The Jewish leaders called out as liars, as thieves, as hypocrites. But what's the point? What's John trying to say? Now, it's important to understand here that John isn't saying that the Old Testament people of God, including the Jewish leaders of his day, were for some reason especially bad. He wasn't saying that they were necessarily worse than others. What he is saying is that even God's chosen people did not receive him. They proved to be just like everyone else, just like the pagan world around them, just like our world today. They proved to be living in darkness. So this isn't a commentary on how bad a certain people is. This is a commentary that, on, that every people, including God's Old Testament people, including you and including me, have rejected God. Don't misunderstand. You don't have to be a staunch atheist to have rejected God. I think of it like this. I haven't told Karen I'm saying this, but that's right. For a while, I used to get upset at my wife, Karen, because she would open group messages nearly immediately after receiving it. Hear me out, sounds weird, I'll explain. She didn't long press on the message to see what it said before clicking on it, nah, she just like, just full on clicked on it, the message opened, and what happens when the message opens? Your little face goes there, and everyone knows that she's read the message, which means that they know that I know what's in the message, which means that the, the time is ticking now that we have to respond to the message. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm taking your laughter as you're on my side. <laughs> so the clock starts ticking the moment that you, start, you read the message. Now, my argument is that I just want to see what they're asking first. I just want to, because maybe I'm just not ready or not able to engage with the message in that moment. So I just want options, people. I just want some time to consider it. But she just clicked. If we know what the message says before we click on it, then like if I can answer immediately, I'll answer immediately. But if I can't, I'll leave it unread and then I'll answer it later. Now, it's a really silly example. But I think we sometimes think about God like that. God has sent us a message and boy, what a message it is. 
and we just leave him unread. We may totally engage, uh, we may totally intend to engage with the message at some point, but not just right now. I'm a bit busy. I have better things to do. Sure, maybe some people block and delete and, you know, completely guard from their life. But most of us, we're just busy. We just leave God unread. Most of us are just stuck living a life that doesn't communicate with God. And maybe we think that we haven't rejected God. We just put him off a little bit. I just want to, I just have a few things I want to finish off first. But here's the problem with that. That lack of communication, that silent treatment, that distance, that is exactly what we call, what, what we're talking about when we say the word sin. Whether it's aggressive opposition or indifferent busyness, you are rejecting God. Remember John's words, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He isn't a light. He is the true light. He doesn't give light to like religious people. He gives light to everyone. He didn't create some people. The whole world was made through him. And you and I are telling him to wait for a minute because we're busy. Have you been actively or passively rejecting Jesus, rejecting the true light that is life? Now, when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the coming of the true light into the world. But there's another big holiday in the year, Easter. And it's on Easter when Jesus was crucified for this very sin, our distancing ourselves from him. When Jesus himself cried out, Baba, Abba, Father. When Jesus took his last breath and died and was buried, but then three days later rose again. That's where the hope that we had at the birth of Christ becomes reality. So John reveals the truth about Jesus to us. He then showed us how the world and his own rejected him. And we saw how close to home that was, unfortunately. But in the, in the very next verse, he shows us the flip side. What about those who received Jesus? Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John says that all who receive him... Ab- Sorry. Sorry, yeah. John fleshes out what he means by receiving him with the possibly equally vague statement, those who believed in his name. Thankfully, we have, uh, he writes again a little later uh, in one of his letters, he says, he says this to kind of flesh out what he means. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. John says that all who receive him obey the command to believe in his name, to wholly trust that Jesus is the Son of God, the Word of God, the Logos of mankind. The readers, you and I, were supposed to put Jesus, put him at the center of everything. Our whole existence should be revolving around him. 
And that's what it means to receive him and to believe in his name. We're called to recognize that the light came into the world. But to what end? Why are we called to do that? Because he gives us the right to be children of God. Children of God. Those who reject Jesus are still God's creation. But according to the Bible, the right to be children of God, that's reserved for those who believe in his name. The light came into the world to give the ones who believe in his his name the right to become children. And we'll close our time together by considering how does he give us that right? Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. In the Old Testament, when God spoke to Moses, he was building a bridge. When God speaks, He's reaching into the world that he created and he's making a way for us to have a relationship with him. If he doesn't reach down, we have no hope of reaching up. So out of love and out of mercy, he gave his chosen people led by Moses at the time laws. The laws showed them that God wanted a relationship with them and they showed them how to live their lives in a way where that would be possible. John here is telling us that when Jesus came into the world, we received grace in place of grace already given. If in Moses we were able to see a shadow of God, in Jesus we can see all of God. If under the law we had to frequently offer sacrifices to atone for our sins, in Jesus he offered himself as a sacrifice once and for all for all of our sins. Jesus is the true Logos. Jesus is the true Ikigai. Instead of centering our lives around ideas and concepts, we need to be centering them around the person, around Jesus. To fulfill your life, don't look for, what was it, what you love, what you're good at, what you can be paid for and what the world needs. Instead, look for the one who loved you. Look for the one who prayed the price for us. Look for the only one who is good enough. And look for the only one who can fulfill what we need. Our purpose is to receive Christ and to believe in him. And we do that by asking God for forgiveness, for rejecting him, and living out our lives with our new identity as children of God. The true Ikigai, the true Logos is Jesus And it's in him that we find our eternal purpose. Why don't you join me as we pray? Father, we're so sorry for the times where we we just replace you with things that we probably can't even name. Father, help us to love and serve you. Help us to fall in love with who you are. Thank you for coming down and reaching down and revealing yourself to us. Please, Father, help us, if whether we would call ourselves Christians or not, to look at your son this Christmas. Mold us 
change our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that